Good morning. Don't you love hope? <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Hey, um, before, before I jump into the message, um, if you watch the news at all, you know the world's a crazy place. Um, if you've been around North Point for a very long time, you know that we have missionaries, Herb and Kim Burkett, who are in Ukraine. They're in the western part of the country, a, a part that is much, much safer than the eastern part. But I thought it would be good. Um, before we pray, let me just say, the, the organization that they work with, SEND, um, has lots of pieces in place for their protection, for knowing when to, when to come home, if that's necessary, or when to stay. They've got lots of support, know lots of people there. Um, they're only a couple hours away from um, borders to other countries to the west, so they could get out quickly if they needed to. Um, all of that's in place, but we still need to pray. So, uh, so let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we come to you right now on behalf of Herb and Kim specifically, God, but um, on behalf of the country of Ukraine um, and Russia and the world, God, we know that um, there are powers at work that want to kill and steal and destroy, that that's what Satan desires. And, um, and God, we, we ask that you would work in ways that we aren't even aware of, that you would protect your church and that you would help your church shine in, in, in this time of uncertainty, that their faith would just be so radically different than than others who are in the region. Um, God, give them the ability, give them the opportunity to speak for you, to talk about, about who you are and what Jesus has done in their lives. God, we ask for their protection, but specifically, God, we ask for Herbert and Kim that, that you would protect them, that you would watch out for them, and that they would know that they're loved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, this week, today, the Olympics end, right? Any big Olympic fans? Wow. Wow, what a bunch of losers. No, I didn't really say that. Sorry about that. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it, the, the Olympics were everything. Um, not so much now, but this week had some really interesting stuff in the Olympics. I watched the Olympics, particularly the Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics too, and think, how do those people do that? You know, that the discipline that it takes to become a world-class athlete and do those things is just crazy. So I watched those guys that cross-country ski and then take out the rifles and shoot the targets and think, how do they do that? And I watched those couples that skate together that never see each other and they're skating backwards, can't see each other, and they reach out and the other person's hands there. They're right in the right spot at the right time, Right. And then I watch those guys on the skis or the snowboards that go off the jumps and do the flips and the circles and all that stuff and think, those guys are nuts, right? The, the discipline it takes for that. And then I watch those guys that play shuffleboard on ice and the discipline that it takes with that broom to make the rock go in just the right place or whatever. Discipline is, a, is what it takes, um, only with incredible discipline do you begin to approach that level of athleticism in all of those areas. Most of us hate discipline, right? It's not something that we particularly like. We may not respond like the silver medalist Thursday night from Russia in the figure skating, that when she got the silver medal, 
just threw a fit and said, I hate my coaches. I hate skating. I will never do this again. And if you read the reports, she stayed in the arena and had to be carried onto the bus with the rest of her team at 3 a.m. because she didn't want any part of them because she got the silver medal. Most, most of us don't respond that way, but we don't like discipline. Our kids don't like it, but we have to have it in our lives. We rebel at the thought of getting up at four in the morning. Can I get an amen? We say no way to this concept that we can't give, that, that we can't continue to eat our favorite foods. That discipline means that we're going to eat a different kind of a diet. We can't comprehend having the discipline that it takes to do the same task over and over and over again in order to perfect it and make it better than anyone, anybody else on the planet. And yet discipline is a critical, it's an integral part, an integral part of our lives. Discipline shapes us. Discipline spares us of all kinds of consequences. And discipline makes us more fruitful. It grows us from the inside out. Discipline's critical for children. Discipline is critical for adults. Discipline is critical for our spiritual health. And Proverbs says a lot about discipline. If you've been reading through Proverbs, you've read it over and over and over again. This is, I think, one of the most critical and controversial and difficult subjects in the book of Proverbs to talk about, this concept of discipline. It's easy to talk about the dangers of guarding your heart or about seeking wisdom or about wise financial management. It's easy to talk about those things, hard to do, but it's easy to talk about. But when you begin to talk about discipline, being disciplined, receiving discipline, disciplining your children, all of a sudden, it gets real quiet in here, right? Ah, where, where are you going to go with this, Rick? What's going to happen? There's a question I think that's out there. What right does God have to tell us about discipline? Well, he's our creator, right? He has every right. He knows what we need. The only question is whether we trust him whether we trust what he says more than we trust what we think about discipline in our lives. Discipline to, uh, discipline to learn a skill like throwing a football or riding skates or doing flips, that's, it's good to develop those skills. But disciplining our heart, disciplining our behavior, that's far more important. And that's what God cares about. He doesn't really care if we can skate or throw a football or any of those things, but he cares about what goes on inside of us. We're in this Let Me Think series from the book of Proverbs, where we're searching the book of Proverbs for how to, how to live well and think right, how to live well and think right. Proverbs, um, we've talked about, is observational truth. Solomon said, this is what I observe in the world around me, and he's passing that wisdom along to his son, to his children. To help them understand how to live well and think right, how to, how to respond to God. Um, I hope that you've developed the discipline of reading a proverb a day over the last six weeks. Today is, uh, is February 20th. I hope you're reading Proverbs 20 uh, today. Because if you do, you'll, it will begin to change your mind and help you live well and think right. 
Let's dive in and explore this morning first what Proverbs says about discipline for parents as they raise their children. This is scary stuff, right? Um, let, me, let me just uh, read through some scriptures and then, then unpack them a little bit. Proverbs 29 verse 17 says, Parents, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. That's a nice scripture, right? Discipline your kids. They're going to give you peace, give you uh, the delights you desire. If you discipline, if you discipline your, your child properly, recognize that your home is going to be a great place. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Proverbs 19. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. No discipline, there's danger for your kids. Um, it, it may actually, discipline may actually make the difference between life and death for them. When your child's running out in the street, into traffic, and you say stop, and they think it's a game, and they keep going, it's dangerous. Proverbs 23, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, correction administered with godly wisdom and loving kindness, will remove it far from him. Proverbs 13, he who withholds the rod of discipline hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines and trains him diligently and appropriately with wisdom and love. Proverbs 29. The rod and reproof or godly instruction gives wisdom. But a child who gets, in his, own, who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Now, if you're a young parent right now, you may be thinking, are you kidding me? The Bible teaches, it actually teaches corporal punishment, like spanking, that kind of thing. And the answer to that question is yes. It's not the only form of discipline, but it's a form of discipline that Solomon says is an important part of the tools a parent can and should use to shape the heart of their children. Some of you I know are saying, I could never do that. I would never do that. That's child abuse. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second, but here's my request. Please don't walk out right now, okay? Stick with me through the entire message and listen to this, the, the whole picture of what we're talking about with discipline, and then um, send in every question that you want uh, down at the bottom of the app notes uh, in the message. You can send in questions. Uh, we're going to record and post it on Tuesday, and happy to answer those as best I can. There are two, two critical questions that I think on this question of, of when Proverbs talks about the rod of instruction and whether or not that's child abuse. This is the most fundamental question. Do I trust that God knows more about child training than I do? That's a hard question because it really speaks about our relationship with God. Do I trust that God knows better than I do? Second question is this, do I believe that our contemporary culture has a better grasp on proper discipline than scripture does? The reason I add that second scripture, that, that second question is because um, it's a relatively recent um, uh, phase of child rearing 
that has, that has said corporal punishment, spanking, whatever, is a bad thing. Not really since Benjamin Spock in the, in the 60s. Before that, that was just a normal part of the way that parents disciplined their children in a, in a healthy way. Um, let me give you some background in terms of studying through the book of Proverbs. There's, there's a zillion scriptures that talk about discipline, instruction, correction in Proverbs. There are four different Hebrew words that are used there. And it's interesting to go back through to study and see which word is translated which way in, in, in a particular verse. Musar is the most common word that's used in Proverbs. It means ethical instruction to understand and apply biblical teaching in your life, in your child's life. Basically, Musar is about how to have the right kind of relationship with God, how to understand who he is, how to live that out on a daily basis. That word, Musar, is used more than 20 times, almost 25 times in the book of Proverbs, a lot. It's a word that's translated chastisement, correction, reproof, discipline, rebuke. It is corrective language with consequences. It's not just talking. There are consequences that come with that. It's not yelling, but it's defining clear boundaries that are not to be crossed so that a child can know and love and follow God on his terms. The second word, that's the, the first word's Musar. The second word is uh, Tokeka. Tokeka. Tokeka is, is translated rebuke, correction, reproof, punishment, chastisement. It's a step above Musar, and it has stronger consequences than Musar. It appears 15 times. Musar, about 25. Uh, Tokeka, about 15. Yaser is the third word, and it's translated chastise, correct, or punish, either figuratively or with, with blows, with action. It's used five times in Proverbs. Shavet is the Hebrew word for rod. So when I read about the rod of correction, that's the word shavet. It's, uh, it's, what it describes is um, for many of us who are older, when our parents said, go out and cut the branch off the tree, get the switch, um, that's the picture that's, that's there in shavet. Um, the amplified version translated, translates it, a reed-like rod applied with godly wisdom. A reed-like rod applied with godly wisdom. The, the concept, the shavet, has to do with both the instrument, what's used, and the purpose that it's used for. It's thick enough to get somebody's attention, but not something that's going to do lasting physical damage. That was, shavet is used eight times in the book of Proverbs. All of that to say, if you start adding all that up, we're talking about more than 50 scriptures 50 verses in the book of Proverbs that talk about the need for corrective discipline in our lives and in the lives of our children. Discipline matters. It's a big deal in the book of Proverbs. It's a big deal in learning wisdom, and it's a big deal with God. Um, now, let me, let me say this as well. This is an important truth that I, that I hope you can just kind of wrap your brains around and hold on to that lasts long beyond this, this message. Anything that God gives us that, that is good, Satan wants to take and distort, just twist a little bit and make it evil. He wants to change the way that it's used. He wants to change its purpose so that it becomes destructive rather, rather than beneficial for us. And it's easy in this concept of discipline, whether you're talking about spanking or whatever, for something that is good from God 
to be distorted and to be used for evil, to be used to destroy rather than to build up and rather than to shape hearts. Um, understanding that doesn't mean don't discipline your kids. It doesn't mean that at all. It means discipline, with, discipline them within the framework of God's design. Um, Deb and I have six kids. We've been married 40, almost 41 years. Some of our six kids were strong-willed. Some were compliant. Some were very transparent when they disobeyed. Some were sneaky, even from their early childhood. Um, Let me share, if you're a young parent, let me share some things that I've learned over the last 40 years. The first tip for parents is probably the most important. The purpose of discipline is to shape your child's heart. The purpose of discipline is to shape your child's heart. It's not to, it's not to demand external compliance. We don't discipline our kids so that there's order in our home. We don't discipline our kids so that people think, oh, we're good parents. We don't discipline our kids just to keep them out of jail. We discipline our children to shape their heart and to help them know how to relate to the world around them and how to relate to God. You, you have to help them understand what, that they can't do whatever they want whenever they want. Because a child, from the time that, they, that, that they're born, that's what they'll want to do, whatever they want, whenever they want. Second, the second tip is this. Never discipline in anger or frustration. When you talk about spanking that's gone out of control, child abuse, that kind of stuff, it always happens because the parent has lost control of their emotions. Never discipline in anger or frustration. God doesn't do that. Understand that God doesn't look down on us and say, oh, I'm so mad at them. You know, there's not that sense of God at all. So if you're a parent, the question that you're probably writing right now in the app notes is, how do I do that? How do I not discipline in anger or frustration? Uh, Here's the key that we try to learn um, over the lives of all of our kids. It's to call your kids to obey the very first time. When you say, pick up your toys, to enforce the discipline and the consequences to have them pick up their toys the very first time. Because otherwise, what happens? Pick up your toys. I said, pick up your toys. What are you doing? I said, pick up your toys. I said, we're going to, what are we? And then you, then you go crazy, right? Anybody been there, done that? Yeah, thank you. Okay, don't do it. Don't, stop it, stop it, all right? Never, ang- never discipline in anger or frustration. Third, consistency in your discipline is critical. Man, consistency in your discipline is critical. You can damage your, ch- your child, your children severely with on one day, you have one set of rules. On another day, you have a, d- a different set of rules. On one day, there's one consequence for behavior. On a- another day, there's a completely different consequence. It creates insecurity and instability in your kid, and it distorts their view of God dramatically. Consistency is critical. Fourth thing. Understand the difference between childish irresponsibility and foolishness. Childish irresponsibility, if you've got a four-year-old sitting at the table and they reach to get something and they knock their cup over, that's childish irresponsibility. They're just being a kid, right? You don't punish for that. There's no reason to. They're just being a kid. But if you say, son, 
move your cup away from the edge of the table. And they go, that's not childish irresponsibility. That's foolishness. That needs discipline, right? Do you understand the difference? That happens at lots of different levels. It's not just when they're toddlers, but it's most evident when they're toddlers. Uh, Fifth thing, natural consequences often make parental discipline unnecessary. Natural consequences often make parental discipline unnecessary. If you give instruction to your son who has a pocket knife, don't play with your pocket knife, don't play with your pocket knife, don't play with your pocket knife, and he cuts his thumb, you don't need to punish him because he's got blood running out of his thumb, right? Um, when, I, when I was a teenager, my family had a bicycle built for two, a tandem bicycle. It was great, greatest thing in the world, so much fun. Uh, fun for our family, fun for my friends. We could go, uh, you know, both of us ride bike. When I was probably, I don't know, uh, 13 or 14, um, I left the tandem outside of our garage on the street and it got stolen. I didn't need to be punished because the punishment was we didn't have a tandem and we weren't buying another one. You understand? Natural consequences. Sometimes uh, it means that you don't need, you don't need uh, um, parental discipline. Um, sixth thing, and, and let, uh, again, you can ask me questions about this. This is my belief. This is not scripture. I, I believe the usefulness of parental spanking is probably um, done as a useful tool by the time a, a child reaches age five. If, if, you, if, you, um, if you use some pain with little guys to help them, to help shape their heart, by the time they're five years old, they understand authority, they understand structure, they understand consequences, and you don't have to go there when they're eight, 10, 15, 20 years old. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears and, uh, and take a look at what Proverbs says about discipline in our lives, in the lives of of adults. Um, many of us experience painful discipline as adults because we didn't receive discipline as kids. Um, that's the reality of life. But Proverbs says a lot about discipline in our lives as well. Proverbs 3, verse 11. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That's a great verse, right? God cares enough about us, even as adults, to shape our lives. Discipline is a sign of God's love. Proverbs 15, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Solomon says, hey, look, when you experience the discipline of God, if you listen to it and profit from it, it will make you wise. You'll be a better person. You'll have a greater understanding of the world around you if you accept and embrace God's discipline and allow him to change our hearts. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 13, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. 
Whoever heeds correction is honored. Proverbs 10, whoever heeds discipline shows the way of life, the way, the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 15, whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Whoever hates correction will die. Do you understand what God says to us? That we need to accept discipline from him. Proverbs 1, where we started this series in Chris's first message, verse, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Um, again, can, can we just talk real honestly? We hate being corrected as adults. We feel like we are old enough, we understand enough, we don't need that, we've got it all figured out, we've experienced enough hard knocks in life that we don't need God's discipline. And we are so wrong in that assumption. I think sometimes our picture of accepting God's discipline is the result of a wrong picture that we have of God. Uh, um, Y'all said that you're not an Olympic fan, so this illustration may tank. But um, if you watch the news Thursday night with the Russian figure skater, the 15-year-old um, Valieva, um, Camila Valieva, um, did you see what happened when she finished the free skate and came off the ice to her coach? She's fallen twice. She's got all this pressure because of the doping stuff. All of that's on her, and she comes off the ice. And what happens her coach takes off on her. Her coach yells at her, why did you let it go? Explain to me why. Why did you stop fighting completely? Somewhere after the axle, you let it go. Bang, 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 bang. 15-year-old girl falling apart. Sometimes I think that we don't accept God's discipline because our picture of God is that Russian coach. That somehow in our mind, we think that God is up there saying, what'd you do that for? Smack, smack, smack. And that, and that his discipline is vindictive for us. And that's not the case. God's word tells us that he disciplines those that he loves. It's not, it's not that picture at all. Um, let me pause for a second again and just kind of go down a different rabbit hole. Is, is all pain that we experience God's discipline? The answer to that is no. Some of it, the natu some of it, sometimes the pain that we experience as an adult is the result of natural consequences of our sin. We do stupid stuff and bad stuff happens to us. That's not God's discipline, all right? That's our own fault. Don't blame that on God. Um, God can use it. Sometimes it's the result of living in a broken world. Wednesday night, 10 o'clock. Um, it's warm, all the water's running everywhere, the sump pump's going crazy, and the pipe on my sump pump detaches and water ends up all over my basement floor. Was that God's discipline? No, right? It was the result of the sump pump working so hard that that screw came loose and the, and the fitting came apart. Now, I, I was thinking about this, about this particular illustration. If my basement... Um, had, had become my God, if everything I did focused on how beautiful and how nice and how great my basement was, that could be God's discipline. But my basement's my basement, right? 
okay? I, I like it. Um, what did we do? We had to figure out how to get the water out, how to fix the floor, how to do all that stuff. That's not God's discipline. When my mom died, um, just a day before her 61st anniversary, was that God's discipline on me that mom died? No. She died because she was old and had Alzheimer's and her body was given out. Not all pain that we experience is God's discipline. But there are other times when my pain, the pain that I experience in life is because God wants to show me things in my heart that need to change. Or when God wants to help me understand not to hold things here on earth so tightly. Or when God wants to help me see the people around me the way that he sees them. What are some tips for adults when you're experiencing pain because of God's discipline? The first is this, and again, I think this is the most important. Know that God loves you more than you can comprehend. When when you're in the throes of of pain, know that God loves you. Um, Second thing is this. Search for what God's trying to teach you in the midst of that pain. Rather than run from the pain, being angry by the pain, turning your back on the pain, just let your prayer be, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What do you want me to see? How do you want me to understand you in a different way? Search for what God's trying to teach you. Third thing, take responsibility for your wrong or foolish behavior. If you wind up in jail because you're drinking and driving, there's not, you don't need to blame anybody. You need to take responsibility for the action that puts you there, right? That's a pretty simple illustration. Um, Take responsibility for your wrong or foolish behavior. Confess that to God and repent of it. Repentance means change. Turn and go a different direction. When we experience pain because of the bad choices that we make, we need to own what is ours to own. And the fourth thing is to ask for God's forgiveness. In the same way that when a parent um, disciplines their child, that that child desperately wants um, for that relationship with their parent to be restored. When we ask for forgiveness, it restores our relationship with God. It brings him close, not pushes him away. Fifth thing, search for ways to change your behavior before discipline is necessary again to get your attention. I think that God disciplines us to change the way that we see the world around us, to change the way that we see other people. Um, I, I was trying to think, how, how do you describe, how do you know when it's God's discipline? Somebody write that question, I'll answer it on Tuesday. Um, how do you know when it's God's discipline? I, I think it's when, when in the midst of the pain and in, in, in the midst of the dis- discomfort, you know that there's something there that God wants to do in you. You know, when, when you think you've got everything on under control, that you have control of every aspect of your life and all of a sudden stuff starts going wrong, God's wanting to teach you something. Um, when, when you think, oh, I have love for everyone and God brings a person into your office that drives you crazy, God's trying to teach you something, right? Search for ways to change your behavior, to allow Jesus to come in and take control of your heart. And change the way that you think, change the way that you respond to the world around you so that you can be more like him. You know, 
Jesus, Jesus said some really interesting things. He didn't use the word discipline. He used the word pruning. But, but listen to what he says in John 15. I'm the true vine, Jesus. I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Discipline. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, discipline, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Stay with Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Um, in uh, 2009, we moved to a house in Ohio on five acres, and it had a whole bunch of fruit trees. It had cherry trees, it had apple trees, it had peach trees, it had a grapevine. It was the greatest thing in the world for a city boy who wanted to learn about trees. Um, however, we bought the house from an older couple, and they hadn't done anything with any of the trees or the grapevine for a number of years. So I had to learn how to prune those trees. I brought in someone who was an experienced pruner, and this is what they taught me. You prune five different types of branches or areas on a tree, on a fruit tree, or on a grapevine. The first thing that you prune is dead branches. It doesn't hurt the, 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 the plant at all. Like, there's no pain to it. But as soon as you prune those dead branches, it begins to heal up. And if you don't prune the dead branches, it becomes a, an opening where bugs and disease can get in and, and kill the tree. Dead branches don't bear fruit. The second thing that you prune is diseased branches. It hurts the, it hurts the plant some, but it protects the plant. It protects the fruit from greater damage because diseased branches grow diseased fruit. The third thing that you prune are suckers. They're the, they're the little things that, that grow out of the ground near the base of the tree or the little branches that begin to grow off the trunk. They steal nutrients that would be sent out to the fruit. And if you can take those off, it's going to increase the productivity of the fruit dramatically. One of the things that I just learned that, that was cool is most fruit trees, if you have a fruit tree now, they're a hybrid. Uh, branches were grafted into uh, to a trunk, and, and the trunk is hardy. It's going to last, and the, the branches that they graft in are going to produce a great amount of fruit. Suckers that grow up from the bottom of trees like that are, are off of the roots of the original tree that doesn't bear as much fruit. Suckers are, are, are the, the plant's desire to go back to the way that it was and not be productive. That's the third thing that you prune. The fourth thing that you prune are branches that cross each other, that, that fill up space and steal nutrients from the sun and um, from the air, uh, the branches that just clutter the area. They compete for those nutrients. That hurts the plant, but ultimately it feels better because that it creates space inside where the fruit can grow and can grow big and large and bountiful. The fifth thing that you prune are healthy branches. That you look at a tree and you say, oh man, look at all these 10 branches that are there. They all bear fruit. 
but I want the, I want the tree to be really productive. And so strategically, I'm gonna cut out four of those 10 branches. And when I do, it's gonna hurt the plant. It's gonna take some time for it to heal. But the fruit that's gonna grow as a result of that is gonna be bigger, more, uh, there's gonna be more fruit. It's gonna just be a different kind of a plant. Healthy branches bear good fruit. Don't miss this in the context of this whole message. It's easier and healthier to prune when the tree's young, when a branch is young. Lots easier to do that early. There were, there were some trees that we had in that house that I pruned for two or three years trying to recover its fruitfulness and ultimately ended up having to kill that part of the tree because I couldn't get health back in this bad branch or bad tree. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. I think this is, a, this is where I want to land. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as though they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Why does God discipline us? Why does God allow us to experience discipline? It's for our good, so that we can share in his holiness, so that we can produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. It's not so that we can win a gold medal. It's not so that we can become compliant God robots here on earth. It's not so that we can experience earthly success, although that might happen as a result. God disciplines us because he loves us. And he wants something better for us than we want for ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, this is hard stuff. Um, to read your word and to know that we need to experience pain in order to be the people that you want us to be, to understand who you are in a better way, that doesn't sound fun to us at all. But God, we want what you want. We want to know you. We we want to live for you. We want to know you for eternity. God, help us to trust you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.